But Colossians 1, Colossians 1 is our text. We are going to come back to the book of James, and we will do that in about a month. We're going to look at a couple of topics that I I feel like we need to address before we come back to James. Tonight is, this afternoon, Colossians 1, on the mission and the purpose of the church. What is the church? What is the mission of the church? Why are we here? Why do you gather? Why do we do what we do? If you're visiting with us today, we are so thankful you're here. And you know what? I hope this is a really practical sermon for you. If you're a member of the church here today, of Christ Fellowship, you are the church. You are Christ Fellowship. May this be a good reminder of who we are and what we are to be about If you're a regular attender and you're considering membership or maybe in that membership process, I hope this will be a great blessing to you as you're reminded as to what we are and what we are to be and do as a church family. The very end of Colossians 1, only two verses, Colossians 1 verses 28 and 29, please hear the word of the living God. Colossians 1, 28, we proclaim him. Admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. The story is told of a consultant from Washington, D.C., who tells the story. It's a fascinating story. He said, I would go and give leadership training, board trainings all over the country to different leadership teams of corporations and companies and businesses. And all the leadership team would gather together in a room. And he said, my very first meeting with them, I said, I would give them a quiz, pull out a pen and a piece of paper. Everybody in the room. He said, I want you to write out for me your agency's mission statement. Write it out for me. Get as close as you can, word for word, to your company's mission statement. And then as the story goes, that consultant went on to say, about 99% of the time, not one person even including the executive director, CEO, whoever, the person in authority, they couldn't even write down in a clear, succinct way the mission statement of the agency. And then he said, how are you going to do your work if you don't know what you're about? Now, what a good question. What a good statement. How can you do your work if you don't know what you're about. Now, the church is not an organization. Don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. The church is not a business. The the church is is not a Fortune 500 company, but, but it is vital that we understand who we are so that we can know what we are to be about. Why are we here? What is the church? What is the church to be? What is the church to do? Now, you've got the bulletin. You have the church website. You've got the cards of the church. You see the mission statement of the church 
plastered all over the place. But do you know the mission statement of Christ's Fellowship Bible Church? Who are we and what are we to be about? We exist to glorify God by preaching the word, evangelizing the lost, discipling the saved, and obeying Jesus Christ all by the power of the Spirit. Boys and girls, you finish the catechism and you probably remember this question. What is the church? The church is an assembly of baptized believers joined together by a covenant of discipline and witness who meet together regularly under the preaching of the word of God. Boys and girls, you remember that. And that's very important for us to know what the church is, but what is the church to be? What are we to do? Why do we gather? Why do you live for Sunday? Why do you need the Wednesday prayer meeting? Why do you need the fellowship with the saints? What's the purpose of the church? What's the mission of the church? Boys and girls, one day you're going to grow older and you're not going to be in mom and dad's home anymore. Why should you go to church? And what kind of church should you look for? And what is a church to be? And what is a church to do? And, And then a related question, who dictates all of this? Who's the one who tells us what to do? Is it, a, is it a leader or a denomination or a committee or a vote or a tradition? Or is it unbelieving neighbors? Why do we do what we do? Why do we teach the way we teach? Why do we sing the songs that we do? Why do we order the corporate worship service the way we do? Why do we not do certain things when we gather together? Do you know? It's a very important question, a very important issue for us to know. How can we do our work if we don't know what we are about? And that's what I want to focus on today from Colossians chapter 1. And I want to expound these couple of verses. I want to teach. I want to exposit. I want to give the meaning of these verses. And I want that to be a grid for us so that as Christ Fellowship Bible Church, we can say, yes, we are faithful. And by God's grace, let's remain faithful to a proper mission and purpose of the church. Now, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Colossians to a probably a small gathering of believers in the city of Colossae, and he had one main purpose. You got to get this or you miss the whole book of Colossians. He has one main purpose, and that is to absolutely extol the all-sufficiency of Jesus. He is better. He is preeminent. He is best. He is ultimate. Jesus is the reason for your life. He is the preeminent, all-sufficient one. That's chapters 1 and 2 of Colossians. And then chapters 3 and 4 is how you live in light of it. So chapter 1 and 2 is the doctrine. Chapter 3 and 4 is your duty to live in light of the all-sufficiency of Christ. So in chapter 1, Paul has been extolling the, the glory of God and the sufficiency of Christ. And, and in chapter 1, if you look here in verses 8 to 12, what a great encouragement Paul does in praying for the believers. 
He prays for them. He he loves the church. In verses 9 and 12, he continues his prayer for them by encouraging them, by praying for their growth, by praying that they would bear fruit. In verses 13 to 23, Paul just pauses and he says, let me just tell you about the exalted deity and glory of Jesus. One of the most amazing hymns in all of the New Testament, most God-exalting, Christ-enthralling scriptures, all about the supremacy of Christ. We're going to look at that actually next week in Colossians 1, 15 to 20. But then in verses 24 to 29, Paul says, let me tell you why we do ministry the way we do. I've prayed for you. I encourage you. I want you to know I love you. I've exalted Christ for you. But let's talk about what we're to be about. Why do we meet? Why do we gather? What is the church about? In these verses, 24 to 29, Paul is going to talk about how he suffered in ministry, how he is a steward of the ministry of God. Jesus is the Savior in this ministry. And then these last couple of verses... The strategy. The strategy. Jeff, what's your church about? Or if somebody were to say to you, you go to church on Sunday afternoon, why do you do that? What's it all about? What is your church all about? Why do you go to that church and not another church? Why have you decided to become part of Christ Fellowship Bible Church? This is the plan right here. Now look in your text. I want you to look at verse 28. Paul begins with the message. We proclaim him. Or if you have the ESV, it keeps it in the word order of the Greek. Him we proclaim. Our message, what we do, we proclaim Jesus. He is our message. He is our theme. He is the one that we proclaim. Then in the end of verse 28, we have the motives. Well, why? Why do we do this? Why do we do this? So that we may present every man complete. Well, well, what's the might? What is the reason? What's the strength? What's the ability? Verse 29, I labor, striving according to God's power, which works within me. Brandon, if you would, would you put the mission that's the next slide here on the screen? Let me remind you, church family and even visitors, this is what we're about. We put this together 12 years ago, and we pray that this will remain our mission until the day, well, the Lord would call us all home. We exist to glorify God by preaching the word, evangelizing the lost, discipling the saved, and obeying Jesus Christ all by the power of the Spirit. But with that being our mission, we have to guard that we don't fall into three ministry pitfalls. You can leave it up. It's okay. During this time. Three ministry pitfalls. Jot these down and pray that we won't fall into this. Number one, the danger of misplaced pragmatism. Hey, whatever draws a crowd, let's do it. Hey, whatever gets the results that we want, let's just do it. It's like you give time to quick growth techniques and marketing materials and schmoozing and scouting out locations and planning programs and creating new groups and demographic and cultural studies. And we could go on and on and on. No, no, no. We're not into pragmatism. We're into being obedient to our Savior. 
Even if we don't see the visible results that we want, we want to be faithful to God and not fall into misplaced pragmatism. Here's a second thing that we must guard from, a second pitfall. Number two, the danger of subtle pride. Subtle pride. It's the mindset, oh, this is everywhere. Hey, the church is for me. Well, I didn't get much out of that church. Nobody reached out to me. I don't feel welcomed. I, 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 that's the key word. Now, are you blessed when you gather? Sure. Are there benefits when you meet with God's people? Absolutely. Is it, is it profitable and necessary for you? Absolutely. But the church is not about you. When we open our Bible and we read the Bible and we explain the Bible and we apply the Bible and then we seek to live out the Bible, few people are going to leave saying, man, that preacher is awesome. People are going to say, leave saying, what a great God. And that's what we want. What a gospel. What a God. Not the programs, not the preacher, not the leadership, not the building, not the music. It's what a God we have. What a God we have. So we want to guard from being puffed up with self. Rather, we want to be preoccupied with God. A third danger. Jot this down. Third, the danger of doubting Scripture. The danger of doubting Scripture. So when we don't see the visible results that we want and we begin to see other things needed to grow the church. You know, the Bible's good, but it's not sufficient. You know, we, we, we really need this program. We really need this youth group. We really need this children's ministry. We, we really need a new building. We need to kind of step it up a little bit. If we're going to really grow and welcome people in, we, we need all of these things. That's the beginning of doubting the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of God's word. Now, church family, you know this, but let me just state it for you. We know in the Bible that he says his word will never return void, Isaiah 55. Do you believe that? I do as well. Do you believe in Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones, that God gives life through the preaching of the word of God? Do you believe that? Yes, I do too. And God promises to bless his word and the preaching, the going forth of his word. Not not just this program or this ministry endeavor or this plan or this new committee. No, we want to trust God and his word in all that we do, in the reading and preaching of the word of God and that will be a place where God's blessing will flow. Do you believe that? I do too. We stand on God and we stand on God's word. But before we come to the text, we are living in a day of trendy Christianity. We are living in a day of trendy, pragmatic Christianity. Trendy, pragmatic, post-Christian and we're living in a, in, a, in, a, in a culture, in a kind of Christianity in our day, where there is this intoxication with the world. Let's be like the world so that we can try to win the world. So we dress like the world, we eat like the world, we drink like the world, we talk like the world, we watch the things that the world watches so that we can somehow connect with the world 
But why would the world want to be a Christian if you look like them? We live in a day of trendy, pragmatic, post-Christian, worldly intoxicated, scared to offend, professional, commercialized, and biblically ignorant churchianity. That's the day in which we live. And what we need is we need to be reminded, what is our mission? What is our purpose? What does God say in the Bible we are to be, we are to do, what we are to be about? Not just for my sake, but for your sake. I'm not the ministry. We are the ministry together. Every single believer in this church. So let's look at Colossians 1, 28 and 29. This passage is going to show us the mission and the purpose of the church. I'm going to give you three headings, and they are super easy. Boys and girls, you can even jot this down and show me your notes afterward. Number one, I want to show you our practice. Number two, I want to show you our purpose. And number three, I want to show you our power. Get that. Don't miss it. We cannot be wrong in any of these. If we are wrong in any of these headings, we will be an unfaithful church. We don't want to be unfaithful. We want to be faithful obedient to our great God. Okay, number one, our practice. Number two, our purpose. And number three, our power. Let's begin in verse 28 with number one, our practice. What do we do? What is the main distinguishing mark of a faithful church? Look at it in verse 28. We proclaim him. And if you want to know who the him is, just go back to the end of verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are all about proclaiming Christ. You know, if you were to go to heaven, or when you get to heaven one day, who's that one person that you think, boy, I can't wait to talk with them? Well, for me, I've got many of them, but one is Ezekiel. I mean, what a guy, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is such a wonderful prophecy and a wonderful book and a, and a great man of God, so faithful to God in his ministry. At the very beginning of the book, Ezekiel 2, verse 7, God said, speak my words to them. And then a phrase I think about a lot, whether they listen or not. Interesting. Speak my word. So my job is to get the words of God, and then I need to speak the word of God to the people of God. Speak my words to them. So our main job is just like Ezekiel's main job. Colossians 1.28, to proclaim Christ. We are to be a place of proclamation. Not a place of drama. Not a place marked by music. Not a place marked by this or that ministry. or No, we are to be a place that is marked and known by our proclamation. It is him we proclaim. Christ. From the text. Every sermon. Every time we gather. You hear of Christ. Because guess what? You don't hear that when you go to work Monday and Tuesday. You don't hear that when you get the emails from corporate throughout the week. You don't get that when you're sitting in your class 
at your university, your college, or your school. What, what we need is we need Christ. We need the proclamation of Christ with boldness, with power, with accuracy, with conviction as stewards. God has given me his word to proclaim it with prayerfulness and with faith. There are two keys to this opening phrase that you need to get. Number one is the manner. Number two is the message. First is the manner. We proclaim. It is is an unashamed proclamation. It's like when you're at the blues game and you're preaching the word of God like some were yesterday. And people get right in front of the preacher and they yell. We don't want to hear this. We keep proclaiming. We keep proclaiming. Unflinching, unhindered, unashamed, unstoppable proclamation. Give attention to the reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. 1 Timothy 4.13. Or Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Our manner is to proclaim, to preach, to herald, to announce, to declare When I was in my PhD work, I had to write a paper. It was given by the professor. The topic was given. I had to write a paper on preaching as a dialogue or a monologue. Interesting. It was a trend about 10 years ago. It was a trend that we ought to move away from monologue, one man preaching, to a dialogue. Text your questions in and and let's dialogue together in the open forum. No, the Bible says preach the word, announce the word, declare the word. Not just the manner, but second, the message. What is our message? We proclaim him. Church family, I hope that you're encouraged by this because when we gather together, you might say, I've had a terrible week. It's like the world is crumbling around me. Inside, I feel like a mess. And I need you to present Christ for me in all of his glory. Show me Christ. Show me, show me the offices of Christ, prophet, priest, and king. Show me the humanity of Christ that he can relate to me. Show me the deity of Christ that he lived the perfect life I could never live. Show me the perfect essence of Christ that he is God, very God. Show me the names of Christ, the work of Christ, the mercies of Christ, the faithfulness of Christ, the, the power of Christ, and the demands of Christ. And show me the redemption In this great plan that Christ has worked. Just look with me at chapter 1. Notice how Paul brings this out. Just go back to chapter 1, verse 2 of Colossians. Paul can't get past Christ. Chapter 1, verse 2. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. He wants you to know that you're in Christ. You have an eternal, loving, secure, intimate union. You're in Christ. Notice in verse 4 that Paul says, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And that results in love for all the saints, verse 4. Notice in verse 7 that we are to serve in local assemblies with elders who are servants of Christ. Just like verse 7, Epaphras is a beloved and faithful servant who is a servant of Christ. Notice in verse 10, Paul wants you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 
Verse 13, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved son. Verse 14, in the son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Look at verse 15. He, the son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16, by Jesus, all things were created in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17, Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he will have first place in everything. And then verse 19, if all of that wasn't enough, verse 19, it is the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of deity. Chapter 2, verse 9 also says, to dwell in him. I mean, what a savior. You come through those doors, you pray and prepare for worship, and you say, I'm hungry for Christ. Give me him. Show me Christ. If we're preaching Leviticus or Luke, or Ruth or Romans, give me Christ. Show me how the Bible and every text of the Bible fits in this grand scope of redemption. How Jesus is the wonderful, glorious hope and center of it all. Every doctrine of theology, whether we're talking about God the Father or God the Holy Spirit or the doctrine of the Bible or the doctrine of salvation or the doctrine of the church or the doctrine of angels and demons or the doctrine of end times. Every one of these theological categories is related to Christ. Every one of them. Paul says we proclaim him. So when I preach, when I prepare, when I craft my sermon, I'm not thinking about current events. I'm not thinking about what the world wants. I want to proclaim the word of God faithfully. I want to exalt Christ the Savior faithfully. How do we do this? Notice verse 28 again, back to Colossians 1. We proclaim him. And then there are two verbals where Paul's going to further elaborate on what it means to proclaim. Number one, we do it by admonishing, or maybe your translation has warning. We do it by admonishing every man, and we also do it by teaching every man with all wisdom. First, the word admonish. Some of you are in the biblical counseling care groups, and you know the word nuthetic counseling. It comes from the Greek word that is used right here for warning. It's a word that means to counsel. It's a word that means to admonish. It means that you're warning someone by guiding them away from error. If you're going to continue in that sin, danger is ahead of you. That's admonishing. You need to stop. You need to confess. You need to turn from it. You got to forsake it. That's admonishing. But then the second verbal in verse 28 is we need to teach every man. We need to teach every man, instruct with sound doctrine and all wisdom. All wisdom. Chapter 2 tells us in verse 3 that Christ is the one where all treasures of wisdom are found in him. The Bible gives us the wisdom from God. That's what we need. Now, by the way, we do this in the church. Admonish. And teach. 
We do it on the street, on the college campus, at the, at the intersection. We admonish, we warn, and we teach sound doctrine. We do it with believers, we do it with unbelievers. But here in the context of verse 28, it's in the church. We admonish and we instruct every man with wisdom. So church family, hear this. As we think about the outline, number one, what is our practice? We proclaim Christ. Boys and girls, one day as you get older and you move out and you have your own place or your own family and you go to school, you go to college, why church? What is a faithful church? What is, it, what is the kind of place that you want to go to? You need to be thinking, give me a place that preaches Christ in all of his fullness. Give me a place where Jesus is going to be set before me every Sunday in all of his glory. I want to be there. I want to be there. It might not be the music style that I prefer. It might not be in the building that I prefer. It might be a smaller or a bigger church or whatever. But give me a place that preaches Christ. That's what you want. That is our practice. May it be, church family, that you hold us accountable to that. May it be that you pray, keep us faithful to this practice. If we err and miss this, we miss it all. Miss it all. So number one is our practice. Now number two, if you're taking notes, our purpose. So, okay, why? Why do we, why do we preach for so Jeff, why do you preach for so long? Why do you do this? Why? Verse 28, we proclaim Christ, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom. Why? In your Bible, there's a little phrase, so that, here's the purpose, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. What's the purpose? What's the goal? What's the motive? Our motive As a church family, our goal, our purpose, hear this very carefully, is to present you faithful to Christ. Our motive is to disciple you in Christ's likeness. Our goal is to strengthen you in Christ. We can simplify it. Really simple. You are to come to Christ, and then you are to grow in Christ. We want people to come to Christ, and we want them to grow in Christ. Verse 28, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. How do you know if you're growing as a Christian? How do you know if you're really maturing as a Christian? Answer in one word, Christ likeness. How do you measure your growth in Jesus Christ? Well, the answer is this. How like Christ are you? Are you growing? Are you progressing? Are you advancing? Are you pursuing him? Are you more Christ-like today than you were a year ago? Have you been growing in Christ now more than you were five years ago? 
Paul says in verse 28, so that we may present every man. I have complete. I think the ESV has mature. The word means complete without any holes, a well-rounded Christian. We want you to be mature, humble, holy, like Jesus Christ. And you can't miss the emphasis of the verse. It's a little phrase occurring three times. What is it? Every man. Do you see it there in your Bible? Let me read verse 28 again. Notice it three times. We proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man. With all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. The elders know there are 65 of you, of us, who are members. We comprise the body of Christ here. We know that. We know you. We've interviewed you. We shepherd you. We pray for you by name. We care for you like Paul. We have such a fond affection for you, not just to teach the Bible to you, but to share our lives with you. Hebrews 13, 17 says that the elders, the leaders must keep watch over your souls. Proverbs 27, 23 says, know well the condition of your flocks. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, we were well pleased to impart the gospel of God, but not only that, our own lives, because you became very dear to us. 1 Peter 5, 2, a verse I often think about as a shepherd, shepherd the flock of God among you, among you. What, 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 is, what is our purpose for doing what we do? Why is the church... Can we just say it? It's kind of terms, COVID terms. Why is it essential? Why is it essential? Because we need it. We need it for our maturity. We need it for our growth. God tells us that we proclaim Christ so that we may present every one of you, young, old, married, single, divorced, widowed, whatever season of life, whatever place you are. Our passion is your Christ-likeness. I could care less about preaching, uh, pleasing the world. I don't, I don't care about pleasing the world. The world is not going to like the gospel. They're not going to like what we do. My passion is not growing in numbers. Let's get more people in. Our passion is not let's get people to pray the sinner's prayer and be liked by others. Our goal is your Christ-likeness. Let me show you this. You're in Colossians. Keep your finger here, but go to the right to 1 Timothy chapter 3. The first Timothy chapter 3, this is the first of three letters in what's called the pastoral epistles. When I'm discouraged, I'll often go somewhere far away and I'll open up these three books and I'll just read them straight through. Lord, help me. Lord, remind me. What am I to do? What are we to be? 
Look at 1 Timothy 3, verse 14. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you soon, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. And the, and the household of God is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of the truth. Pause. CNN, Fox News, ABC, whatever news source is not a source of truth. The church. The church is to be the pillar, the support, the buttress of truth. People ought to say, I'm getting lies everywhere in the world. Give me the church. Give me Sunday. Give me the preaching from the Bible. I need the truth. Verse 16, that's, that's what we are. But verse 16, notice what we believe. Here's our common confession. This is the great mystery of godliness. This is the Christian faith. This is our confession. Jesus, he who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. That's who we are. That's what we do. Now, you're in Colossians, but now go back to Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians 4, because I want you to see this as well. Ephesians 4 is so, so important. As we often say, when the church began 11 years ago, what, what, what's, what are you about? What is your church all about? Here it is, Ephesians 4. Verse 11, God gave some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. God gives leaders... Why? Look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints to do the work of service. Why is Pastor Jeff here? Why is Randy here? Why is Jarrett here? Why does God give leaders not to do the work, but to equip you to do the work? Yes, we serve and we teach and we pray and we study and we disciple. We love that. It is our joy to do it. But we don't want to do all the work. Our duty is to equip you. So biblically, in the football analogy, nobody should be on the stands. Everybody should be on the field. Nobody should be a Sunday-only attender not serving, not plugged in, not involved. We ought to somehow Be involved, serving, and doing the work of ministry. Notice Ephesians 4, the next verse, 13. Until we all attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness, in deceitful scheming. Pause. Boys and girls, boys and girls, look at me for a sec. I tell my kids this frequently. Don't forget that God has given you a godly mom and dad, yes. And then after them, God has given you a local church family to help guide you from the waves and lies and deceits of culture and the evil one. Don't forget the church. Don't forget the leaders of the church. Don't forget those who care for you in the church, who come alongside of your dad and mom in teaching you biblical truth so that you're not tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine in our culture. There's a lot of them. 
Verse 15 of Ephesians 4, but speak in the truth and love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Now, don't forget verse 16, because you're in verse 16. Every one of you, believers, 16. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. That's you and me. We are supplying work. According to the proper working of each individual part, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's that's our purpose. We want you to be built up. We want you to be like Christ. This is what Paul said to the Galatians in Galatians 4.19. I want Christ formed in you. And you want that for me. And I want that for you. I want you to grow in Christ. You want me to grow in Christ. We want each other to grow in Christ. So we serve. We serve. Every man, every man. There is nothing that a pastor elder wants more than seeing you, the members of the church, distinguished for holiness. When you say, man, this world is so unfamiliar to me. I don't have a home in this world. I can't wait to get to glory but I also can't wait to be with my family on Sunday. That is so encouraging. Why? Because that is growth in Christ. That is maturity weaning you off of the world and bringing you into deeper communion with Christ and his people. What gives a man of God joy? 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than this and to hear of my children walking in the truth. We want you to walk in the truth. So our practice, we proclaim Christ. Why? What's the purpose? So that we may present every man complete in Christ. That is my prayer for you. It's not about a big church. It's not about a lot of programs. It's not about flashy music or a big stage or all these cool things we do in the world. What makes a faithful church is their Christ-likeness. Third, the power. What is our power? I mean, Jeff, how in the world are we going to do this? Well, Paul labored and he worked night and day among the Thessalonians. Paul greets the Roman believers in chapter 16, and he greets them who have worked hard in the Lord. Tryphena, Tryphosa were workers. Persis worked hard in the Lord. Let me ask, is your life marked by working hard in the Lord? In the context of the church family. Look at verse 29. Colossians 1.29. Paul said we proclaim Christ and we admonish and we teach. And we want to present you complete in Christ. Verse 29. For this reason I labor. I'm striving according to God's power. The Greek word is energy. I love this. According to God's energy which energizes me with power. It's like Paul is just piling words, energy, power, energy upon each other. It was said of Martin Luther, 
He would often work so hard during the day, he would just fall into bed at night. D.L. Moody once prayed, Lord, I'm tired. Amen. (laughs) G. Campbell Morgan would sit at his study and he would remind himself, my mission is to rescue the perishing and to care for the dying. We need to pour our lives into this business. Olympians do that. Musicians do that. Athletes do that. Charles Simeon in London, England would say, be in earnest. Don't trifle. Never have we ever had an era where there's so many young men and women who are obsessed with video games. Wasting their life away. What, what, what would Christians in church history say? Don't waste your life. Be in earnest. Don't trifle. You have one life to live, boys and girls. If I could sit across a table with you and look you in the eyeballs, I would tell you there is no better way to live your life than to live all out for Jesus. It'll be hard, and there will be difficulties, probably more difficulties because you're living for Jesus. But I promise you, it's the best way to live your life. One life to live, we all do. Don't waste it away. Biblically authentic ministry always involves hard work. In verse 29, Paul says, I labor. The ESV has, I toil. The the word in Greek means I'm sweating. It's hard. I mean, it's hard. Serving people is hard. It's inconvenient. It can be a financial sacrifice. I I might have to say no to something else to say yes to serving the people of God. Great effort. The word was often used for athletes. Sweating, laboring. And then he says, I'm striving. The Greek word, you know it, agonizomai. I'm agonizing. Strenuous exertion. All out energy. I'm living all out for Jesus. Okay. January 1st. It's a new year. Let's pray. Let's live all out for Jesus. Let's live all out for I bet on your deathbed, you wouldn't regret it. Probably what we would say is, man, I wish I would have lived more fully for Christ. Working according to his energy. How do you do this? Jeff, how do you do what you do? Church family, how do you do what you do? It's not our strength. The source, verse 29, it comes from God's power, which mightily works within us. We are a supernatural group of people around here. We have a power that the world doesn't have. You're relentless. You're relentless in serving God and one another. Spurgeon said the best and the wisest thing in the world is for you to work as if everything depended upon you 
and then you trust God, knowing that everything really depends upon him. I love Psalm 105.4. I pray for it a lot for you, church family, young moms in particular. Seek the Lord and his strength. I know it's busy and tiring for young moms. Seek the Lord and his strength. God will give it. He's gracious. He's faithful. You might say, I can't do it. You're right, but God can. You might say, I'm weak, but God is strong. We are weakness leaning on almightiness. And that's what we do. We exist to glorify God by preaching the word, evangelizing the lost, discipling the saved, and obeying Jesus Christ, not in our own strength, but by the power of the Spirit. Notice first, we exist. We're a church. We are a church comprised of true believers. And we exist, second phrase up there, to glorify God. Everything that we do here, from the scripture reading, to the pastoral prayer, to talking about missions, to the singing, to the preaching, to baptism, to communion, to all that we do, it is all about elevating God. It's it's not about elevating us. We want to glorify God. Third, we do that by preaching the word. The third phrase, preaching the word. We preach through books of the Bible. We preach every doctrine of the Bible. My text could be on hell. I'm going to preach it hard. It could be on heaven. I want to preach it with all that I can. It could be on Christ as our prophet or our priest or our king, or it could be about Christ and his coming judgment, but I want to preach it. We herald, we speak for God. Why? Because I didn't make this message up. God gave it in his word, and my job is to be faithful to feed you what God has given. And why do we preach the word? To equip you, next phrase, to evangelize. Yeah, yeah, we, we go to abortion clinics and there's people that go to college campuses and there's those that go to intersections and there's those that might do public things. But you know what? Every one of us must open our mouth and proclaim. Every one of us. It, it can be through a gospel tract if you don't have the time in some situation to give somebody the gospel. It can be with a loved one, a coworker, a letter that you write. It could be over a dinner table. It could be mothers and fathers with your children. In the discipline room. We are to be a church constantly thinking we are here to rescue the perishing. That we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you to be reconciled to God. Every one of us. Every one of us. This this year, this week, make it your prayer. Lord, where, how? How can I open my mouth and proclaim Christ? And then, and then we want to disciple the saved. We want to disciple the saved. No isolationism, no lone ranger, no Sunday only attender who's uninvolved, unprayerful, undiscipled. Our goal is for every one of the 65 members to be involved somehow. That's why when some don't arrive and worship with us for a number of weeks in a row, we come knocking or we'll call 
Are you okay? Why? We need the discipleship. We need to be involved. We need one another. Discipleship is one believer helping another believer follow Christ. Next, we want to obey. We want to obey. That's not legalism. Obeying God is what he commands of all of his slaves. We want to follow Christ. That's why when we fail, we confess and we repent and we we return to our loving father and we, we serve him with gratitude. And we do this all by the power of the Holy Spirit, not in our own strength, but that's why we have a Wednesday prayer meeting. That's why there's a group of people Sundays at one o'clock in the lower level where we pray for God's power when we gather together here for church. Why? Because if God doesn't come with power, this is just a mere human gathering. We don't want that. We want almighty power, divine power. Okay, so you know that. Let me give you some applications. Number one. Family of believers, your job, your job is to hold us accountable to this mission. We we believe it's biblical, so hold us accountable. Everything that we're doing, everything as a church family, everything we do should be connected to the mission as the center of it all. Second, you ought to come and expect to hear Christ preached every time. Every time. We could be preaching through the book of Psalms or preaching through the book of James. The men could be going through the book of 1 Corinthians on Friday or whatever discipleship book of the Bible you're going through. We ought to proclaim Christ. So you can invite a neighbor, a coworker, a relative and say, come with me to church. And you know that Pastor Jeff is going to preach the gospel. They're going to hear it. Third. We want you to understand that God's primary means, the primary means of admonishing and instructing God's people is through the proclamation of the word of God. Now, that's essential, but it's not sufficient. We also need the small group discipleships. We need one-on-one as well. But we need the preaching of the word. We need the proclamation of the word. So, so we plan, we prepare, we arrive early. We, we don't come on time at the moment of or even late. We come early because we're here to meet with the living God. Oh, Lord, teach us. Fourth, remember that the local church ministry is about every man being complete in Christ. So, how are you serving? I love the question. Well, how can I serve? What do I need to be doing around here? And I love that question. Feel free to ask it to me because I'm going to give you this answer. There's a lot of people here to get to know, to pray for, to meet with, to have over for hospitality, to, to, to meet after church on Sunday for a meal, to meet for coffee, And you disciple and you get to know and you encourage one another. You can write letters to each other. You can show hospitality. You can meet for discipleship. You can call one another. You can pray for each other. The question is, where are you giving? 
Yes, we're getting, but where are you giving? Our job is to equip you to do the work of ministry. This is your job. And then ministry is, it, it's work. Let's just be honest, it's, it's labor. I mean, there's a reason why Robert Murray McShane died at 29 years of age. Joseph Aileen died at age 34. These guys are, are relentless. They're serving Christ with passion. Some even say Spurgeon died really as a young man of a broken heart, literally. He's worked himself to death. Ministry is work. But you know what? It's joyful work. It's joyful. Paul, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, I will gladly spend and be expended for souls. You'll die for me, I'll die for you. We serve each other. We labor for each other. We gather to help each other. All of our strength, all of our energy comes from God. So that's who we are. At the very beginning, that consultant who said, grab your pen and a paper, write down the mission statement of the church. How do you know what to do if you don't know who you are? You know who we are. You know what God calls us to do. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. I want to end with this. There's a prayer I've been praying. I think it's a little dangerous, so buckle your seatbelts. We don't want to be an ineffective church. So we want to be known in hell. Remember Acts 19, Paul is in the city of Ephesus and the the sons of Sceva are there and they're claiming the name of Christ and one of the demons says, Jesus I know, Paul I know, who are you? When Paul lived, hell trembled. When Christ's fellowship is serving the Lord, proclaiming the gospel, praying together, May it be that hell will tremble. Look, if, if, if we're going to be ineffective, let's just pack it up and go home right now. We're not going to, we're not going to do anything. We, we want to be on Satan's most wanted list. We want to be a threat to Satan's kingdom. Now hear that. That's not safe but it's the best place to be. The the world came after Jesus and all the prophets and the apostles and faithful Christians through church history. We're not scared by that. We're, We're not intimidated by that. We are here to proclaim the gospel. We are here to snatch souls from the fire. And we do that together. Why? Because we love the lost. And we love the God who saved us. And we are are those who have found the living bread. And we know that we are living in a city of millions of people who are looking to find bread that satisfies and they're looking in every place but Christ. So we preach Christ. And we proclaim him, and hell hates it. 
So we want to be known in hell. We want to be a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Our job is to magnify our God. Let's do that. Let's do that as faithful as we can for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. The power, the riveting truth. Write your word on our hearts. Help us to hear it and obey it. In Jesus' name.